listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I actually want to pray for David. David's going to be sharing this morning. It's the last Sunday um, of our fast here. And he just shared, man, I have a word on Matthew 11 for the body. And we have another 30, 40 minutes to be here. We just want to fully receive the last deposit as we head into the Yingling Arena. How many of you know that's just the beginning? It's not like May 28th. God, God, this is the beginning of God setting things in motion. So can we just stretch our hands and pray? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word that is alive. We thank you, Father, for this time we are in. God, we thank you for the ability to lean in as family. We're asking, God, for the word as it goes forward to transform, to change, to move things in the heart that need to be moved, and to impassion and embolden us to be able to walk as a kingdom people. We open up our hearts to receive, God, or bless David as he delivers the word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's lean in. Amen. amen. Thank you, Gio. Well, if you have a, a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 11. You know, there's a, there's a verse that says God brings out things new and things old. And Matthew 11 is one of those chapters, as, as I've been in this season of fasting and prayer, and Gio's been just teaching so powerfully on the divine interruption. How many of you are feeling divinely interrupted? <laughs> And, and that's holy, that's good. And I'm so thankful for the season and how God brings us together. But Matthew 11 has been stirring in my heart in this past uh, couple of weeks, maybe month or so deeply. It's, it's a passage that was so foundational in, in my journey. Um, Ronette might remember this, but there was a period of time when we had a gathering, I think we preached on Matthew 11 for like a year. I mean, it was just like, it got so in us and that was many years ago, but I felt like the Lord began to tug and pull out this like reservoir of understanding it just in my own heart. And then I started to suddenly feel like maybe this is actually a word um, that God is freshly breathing on. So we're going to just take just a little bit of time and unpack this because when you get in these moments like this, you're, we're in a season of 21 days. We got one week left. How many of you know when when we're when you're in a corporate fast, everything stirs up. You get your own soul goes crazy. Your physical body gets antsy, and then in the spirit, everything just starts moving. I mean, glory encounters often. And also just like, oh, I don't, we don't talk about the other side that much, but how many of you also know, if you, and I'm saying this because I want to encourage you. A lot of people are like, I feel nothing. Actually, I'm just kind of like struggling with anger. <laughs> Can we keep it real? Because what actually happens is when you set your heart to seek God's face, oftentimes the stuff that's on the inside that all the noise has been drowning out surfaces and it's God's opportunity to deal with the stuff. So that's why it's surfacing because God's dealing with it and you're silencing the rest of the noise to lean into God and it all surfaces. Sometimes it's not even a demon. Sometimes it's just your own soul. As charismatics, we're like, oh, it's, a, it's demonic oppression. Sometimes you want to go, actually, actually, that's your own soul. So let's, let's have a conversation about that. That's not the message for today. But I do want to say, I think it would just uh, behoove us to mention briefly before we get into the text and the word is right now, and we've said this the past few weeks, but right now there's about estimated 5 million people fasting and praying for Israel across the earth right now. I mean, this is truly historic. I, I've heard people say, I think Gio said it, this might be one of those times where we look back or our children look back and we talk about the fast of 2023 when 5 million people, for the first time in history, mostly Gentile believers began to pray for God's purposes for Israel on a global scale. And then on May 28th, while we're at the arena, 
My understanding is that upwards of 100 million people across the earth will participate in a global day of prayer for Israel. I just think we need to say these things during the fast so we keep it in front of us. We, we almost need that sense of shock and awe, a, a healthy sense of shock and awe of what God's doing in our generation. You don't want to just brush past it. You got to let it hit you and keep reminding yourself, especially when you're in the grind of a fast, that we're part of a holy global movement, not just a holy abide church movement. And, uh, and, that's, and that's dear to God's heart. And, and so it really is a privilege to be able to, to be a part of this. I wanted to tell you one quick testimony of prayer for Israel, because again, just wanting to provoke this in your heart. I, we uh, started 24 hour prayer meetings many years ago. And, and I'll be honest with you, my highest vision, I was probably 18 years old, 19 something. My highest vision was a couple hundred young adults getting saved. I'm now thinking, if we could see a couple hundred young adults get saved, I couldn't imagine much better than that at that particular phase in my life. And when the Lord began to speak to us as we were praying about the Middle East and about the Jewish people, I'm literally going, this makes zero sense to me. It's not even in my thoughts. And I remember we were seeking the Lord intentionally. And this, uh, this man, this young man at the time, approaches me. He's now my brother-in-law. He approaches me and he says, I had a dream last night. And in the dream, I walked up to your house and I knocked on the door. And in the dream, Ronette answered the door. And she said... There's an angel in the living room with a message for you. And he says, okay, in the dream, walks into my living room, and there's an angel. And the angel turns to him and says three sentences to him in the dream. And the third sentence is, tell David Bradshaw to pray for Israel. So he's now my brother-in-law, but he calls me and he says, angel, in a dream, tell David Bradshaw to pray for Israel. I'm like, wow. So I prayed for Israel once. <laughs> I was like, Lord, thanks for sending the angel. Shaka baka, bless Israel, amen, move on, believe for the 200 young people. And then a, a couple weeks later, Ronette calls me. And she doesn't know that Ben had this dream. And she says, I had a dream last night and I heard the voice of the Lord. And he said three sentences to me. And she proceeds to say word for word the exact same three sentences, with the third one being, tell David Bradshaw to pray for Israel. And at that moment, that 19-year-old kid went, what in the world is going on in our lives? What is this pray for Israel thing? I had almost no theological understanding. I'd never really seriously ever prayed for Israel my whole life. And God sends an angel in one dream and the thunderous voice of God in another dream. And the three sentences had a timestamp on events on the earth going on. And the third sentence would pray for Israel. And I'm just trying to see 200 kids get saved in my city. And the Lord's going, I want the 200. I want more than 200 in your city, but also I want you in my story. I want you as a friend. How many of you know we're about to get caught up in, in God's story? We've been saying this a lot, but this is not hyperbole. We are getting caught up in a divine narrative. And at the core of that narrative is not just a series of events, but a Jewish man. The centerpiece of the global narrative is a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. <laughs> who is fully God. And guess what? He's still Jewish. And he loves every people group on the earth. And he's going he's gonna to turn the tide on the nations of the earth, including the Middle East. And uh, amen. I just want to tell that story because I want to encourage you to step into the divine narrative. Actually, here's what, here's what you need to do. Actually pray for Israel. Like on your own. Can you imagine driving in the car, talking to God about a people group that you're not even directly engaged with at that moment? These are the kinds of things 
that God calls you into that actually create almost like a bullseye of divine favor on you. When you start leaning into the things Jesus is doing, you end up also leaning into his favor. Amen. Okay, so Matthew 11. I'm just going to pray one more time because, Lord, I ask you in the middle of this fast, I just ask you these few minutes we have left here to release your word. I ask you to awaken us to reality today. In Jesus' name. Awaken us to reality today. Break off a dull spirit. Break off a dull heart. Deliver us. Deliver me, God. Father, I ask you for an awakening. Come, Holy Spirit. Even now, come, Holy Spirit. Do what you do. Shake us loose. Break the fallow ground. Break my heart loose from the spirit of the age. Take us up. Come on, I know we're here to preach, but can we pray for a minute? Take us up, Lord. Take us up. Let Abide Church have a, a corporate coming up into God. Let there be a corporate coming up into God, Lord. Awaken my heart. Come on, say it to the Lord. Awaken my heart. Break the dullness off of me. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Give me tears again. Give me the dance and give me the dirge. Come, Holy Spirit. For the sake of your name, for the sake of what's going to transpire next week, we break the fallow ground right now. We break the fallow ground. And even when it's disruptive, we say yes. Teach us, Lord. Okay, Matthew 11. Matthew 11 is an amazing passage about John the Baptist. As many of you might know, John the Baptist was sent ahead of Jesus. He was imprisoned for his preaching and, and his confrontation of sin. And he was uh, actually in distress, as we see from the text. And he sends his, his disciples out and to ask about... Uh, to ask Jesus what's, what's actually going on. And I, I'm just going to read the text here for a minute. Let's, let's start uh, in verse 7. It says, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you then go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, there has, not a, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Powerful. I want to unpack a few things here. Number one, I believe in a moment like this, where we're in a heightened spiritual activity, it's 
easy in these moments to come in and you can feel the sense of God moving at times. And you can almost start to enjoy the spiritual dynamics of what's happening. You can begin to appreciate it without sometimes the understanding of what God is establishing so that we can move out of the 21 days living differently. And I think it's important. I think it's so important that we as a community have an understanding of the role of spiritual appetites, of hunger. I think we need a theology of desire. We need a theology of desire. So we can understand God's culture. How many of you know God honors spiritual hunger? In God's economy, in his kingdom culture, spiritual hunger matters to him and he honors it. Appetite for God. Desire for God, spiritual, disruptive spiritual hunger, disruptive desire for fullness, uncomfortable sometimes, ache, you could say the phrase lovesickness, is part of God's economy forever, and especially in this age where there's a reach of love and a gap between our experience and everything that Jesus died to give us. And so I want to say, it's burning in my heart that we all connect to this. Appetite, spiritual desire for God's presence and to fulfill his storyline in your life is a sign of being alive. It's as natural as breathing and it is in the economy of God to execute his will on the earth. He's not looking necessarily for the smartest people. He's looking for the hungriest people. Yeah, amen. He's not looking necessarily for the most gifted, he's looking for the most hungry. Seriously. And to get a theology of spiritual appetite and understand the way God has made us to function sets us on a course through 21 days. I dare you to dream. What if the kind of hunger you're leaning into in the 21 days became equal or more after the 21 days? What if God was inviting you, not some anxiety-based, striving-based culture? You have to hear me on this. But a culture of love and desire for God that was given expression in your life as an ongoing reality that's disruptive and glorious and joyful And it really is what we were born for. And so I want to just, in Matthew, we're going to get to the text here in a second, but just want to lean into this for a minute because Gio did a brilliant job when we started the fast talking about why we're fasting and particularly Matthew chapter six. Do you know in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in the culture of the kingdom put spiritual desire for God, appetite, thirst in the DNA of the culture of the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then he begins to provoke us. I love what you say. He doesn't tell you how much to fast. He doesn't tell you in the Bible how much money to give away. There's not a scripture you can go to that says, here's the exact amount of money you're supposed to give, and here's the exact amount of time you're supposed to fast, and here's the exact number of hours of dedicated prayer. He actually just says this, when you do it, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. I dare you. (laughs) I remember I used to work for a guy who was my boss at a restaurant, was from another faith that has a 30-day fast every year. And I was accidentally fasting on the same day as Ramadan. 
at the time. I didn't even realize. <laughs> and we're taking lunch breaks, and he goes, hey, do you want to take your lunch break? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not taking a lunch break today. He goes, what do you mean you're not taking a lunch break? And then he looks at me weird, and he goes, do you practice bleeping Ramadan? I'm like, no, I don't. He goes, well, I'm not eating today either. And then a little while later, he goes, so how much does your religion make you fast? I said, well, you know, to be totally honest with you, Jesus didn't tell us how much to fast. He goes, well, why the bleepity bleep are you doing it? He goes, I hate this. <laughs> and I'm not, that's not a, dis, a commentary on every Muslim in the world. I'm just saying this was my boss. He goes, I hate this. And I said, you know, I'm doing it because I want to. I can't live without more. And he goes, he looked at me like I was from another planet. He's like, what? Like, I can't live without more because when you understand that desire for God is like a spiritual currency. And when you express it, it increases. And when you stifle it, it decreases. And if you lean into it, you can actually go places in God that satisfy the deepest cravings of your heart. For everyone, not just full-time ministry people. I have a friend who's a lawyer. He's an attorney in Virginia Beach. And he walked into one of our conferences on the back row and a, a guy was preaching named Lou Engold, spiritual father, and he's preaching on fasting. And this guy never heard him. He's like, what is that guy doing? And he hears just, he's barely walking with the Lord, but he hears in his mind, you gotta go put your hand on that guy, which is weird. He's like, why would I do this? This attorney walks over to Lou, puts his hand on Lou's back, and the Lord comes on this guy. He's running a successful law firm. He starts doing multiple 40-day fasts every year. A lawyer in Virginia Beach. And you know what happened is he couldn't even work his normal hours. He's running a law firm. And he had to like change some things just to survive the water fast he was on. Two 40s a year. And, and you know what happened? His business grew six times during that period of time. It was six-fold growth while he was on two water day, fa well, water day fast. <laughs> I got fasting brain right now. Two 40-day water fast. And I just want to encourage us that this principle of spiritual appetite, God is provoking it, I believe, right now in, in this community. To begin to live differently. It's not just 21 day fast, it's fasted lifestyle. But you don't live the fasted lifestyle by gritting your teeth and trying harder. You have to see something. Because it's not earning something from God. Now, let me give just let me give a little bit more context. You guys okay? This is just teaching. This is just foundation, but like I I just feel like as simple as this is, it's like we got to get rooted in the culture of heaven so that we can live for decades this way. You know, when humanity fell, our appetites changed. How many of you know we're body, soul, and spirit? I believe we're body, soul, and spirit. When you were healthy, when you were alive before the fall, when we were alive in Adam before the fall, spiritual appetites ruled over our soulish appetites, our emotions, which, and thoughts, which ruled over our physical appetites, things like food and sex or whatever else. How many of you know the first thing to die at the fall of man was our spirit? And then our soul was corrupted by sin and then ultimately our physical body died. When Jesus rose from the dead, he brought you up with him. And this is what happened. You were born again. When you set your faith in Jesus, your spirit came back alive. And when your spirit is resurrected, that's followed by your soul, your personality's transformed, and ultimately it's going to be a full restoration of a glorified, resurrected body. Yeah. 
But he starts with the spiritual resurrection and culminates in a physical one. But what happened in that process is humanity began to idolize our physical appetites. Suddenly food and sex and whatever else became our top priority. And we're living in those, in those fleshly, legitimate appetites, but fleshly appetites, and they were no longer governed by superior appetites. We were living with food and appetites and sex and everything else as like our, our highest definition of, spirit, of pleasure. And all of heaven is looking going, those are just, they're, they're beautiful, but they're pale reflections. You're meant to enjoy them, but they're meant to be subject to your spirit. And we have a whole generation running around thinking that sex and food and fame and popularity and emotional connection to other people and getting your needs met from the, your friend and your wife and your spouse and your boyfriend and your girlfriend. You think all those people are going to satisfy the deep cravings of your soul and you got your fleshly and your soulish appetites elevated to a point where you're no longer to live as a healthy human. Have you ever been in a suffocating relationship? What's happening is somebody's trying to, we're trying to get out of each other something that nobody can ever give us. Yeah. We're trying to pull it out of our friends or our spouse or our co-laborers. We're just trying to get it out of them. And the Lord's like, come up here. Yeah. Yeah. Henry Nowen said, you got to die to your neighbor before you love your neighbor. Yes. Because when you're looking to your neighbor to satisfy your deepest ache, you end up suffocating your neighbor instead of loving that's why there's divorce after divorce after divorce after divorce. Because spouses are trying to find something in their spouse that the spouse could never give them. Because their spiritual appetites were meant to dominate their soulish and fleshly, or, or lead the soulish and fleshly appetites. They're good appetites. This isn't Gnosticism. God loves the human body. Uh, God loves food. I'm really thankful that God loves food. Especially today. <laughs> but I want to tell you what, there's something better. And I, I don't know, I, I want to get provoked. And, and Matthew 11 talks about this principle where Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And from the days of John the Baptist to now, the violent are taking it by force. Now that has been misinterpreted, I believe, to talk about physical violence or crusades or whatever else. I don't believe that's what Jesus was actually talking about. He was talking about the divine disruption where God honors spiritual hunger. People that cannot and will not settle for businesses usual they just can't do it and they provoke everyone around them and then that spiritual appetite ends up stirring up a fight with the powers of the air with the flesh with the devil with the world if you've ever been there you know if you know you know I don't know, but I, I kind of want to get you in the, I want to get in this together to wrestle with this. I feel like I'm awakening a little bit during this fast to like, I didn't even realize I had funk on my heart like that. I didn't even know it was there. How many of you know that's a bad deal to not know that, that you have funk on your heart? It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to act like it's not there because your appetites are so, uh, so stifled by just nibbling at the world. I had this John Piper quote in here somewhere that it's one of my favorite John Piper quotes. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. The greatest enemy of spiritual hunger is not poison, but apple pie. God likes apple pie. There's a little commentary on the front row going on. But can you see the, the principle? I want to get in the theology of spiritual desire. When I was, when I was young... This thing gripped me. I remember seasons where one time my dad came to me and he goes, I think you're, I think you're fasting too much. He was like, I'm just a little concerned for you. Now, I do think there's wisdom for real that God has for us. But at the same time, 
at the same time, my father encouraged me deeply, and I want to encourage us to encourage our kids. Somebody has to give us permission to be wholehearted. Somebody's got to give this generation permission. We've been watering it down and telling them it don't take all that for too long. Somebody's got to give, Mike Bickle gave me permission when I was young to go as hard as I possibly could. And he said, they're going to tell you it's going to lead to burnout. And I promise you it won't. Other things lead to burnout, not hunger for God. There's lots of things that lead to burnout, but it's not hunger for God. Hunger leads to rest. He says, strive to enter rest. When you're actually vibrantly hungry for God, you are healthier. When your spiritual appetites begin to rule over your fleshly appetites, you become a healthy human being. You become a better father, a better mother, a better spouse, a better friend. Right? The problem is when the other appetites are out of order, that's when you become problematic. But how many of you know you've been delivered of that? And I just want to say today, what if Abide Church went, you know what? We're going to be a people that touch this thing that Jesus talked about called the violent take it by force. Again, not anxiety. And I want to say it has to be built upon the foundation of we are not fasting and praying and singing and showing up in the prayer room to get God's attention. We're not, it's not affecting his affection for us. In the gospel, with nothing you could ever do to earn it, you already have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Hear me on this. We're not going to fast and pray to try to get every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We're not trying to get God's attention and we're not trying to get his affection. I'll be honest with you, if our fastings and our prayers and our spiritual hunger is rooted in that foundation of trying to get God's attention, you can actually harm yourself in the process some. We're coming from the position of already having every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1. We're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians 2. We're already seated at the table. You already have a seat at the Father's house. You don't have to try to get it. If you're in Christ, if you've turned, repented of your sins, surrendered your life to Jesus, you have a seat at the table automatically. And that is why we fast and pray and reach and desire because we know we have access already. But I think those in the new covenant are going to fast and pray and reach even more, not less. You know, those, those Pharisees fasted all the time. They fasted in a religious spirit. It wasn't love sickness. It was spiritual pride. And that kind of fasting hurt them. But when it's fasting in love sickness, because here's the principle. Before Jesus is actually a king, he's bridegroom, king, and judge. He's all of that. But his favorite hat, I think I could say it that way, is bridegroom. He's a bridegroom king, which means love is at the core of the government, which is why God honors spiritual hunger. I want to provoke some of us in this room. You can have as much as you want. You're not going to get to the age to come and go, God, I really wanted to know you and you didn't ever reveal yourself. Can, can I say that again? God responds to spiritual hunger. There are delays. We're not going to live by our emotions, right? Emotions come and go. They tell you things that aren't true. You can't make decisions just based on emotions. It's not what I'm saying. Emotionalism is, is toxic. I'm, you live by faith. Many times you don't feel it, and sometimes you do. But at the same time, there is a reality that you can have as much of God as you really want in terms of your intimacy with him and walking out your calling for impact. I just want to say this again. You can have as much as you want, Abide Church. 
What if you lived that way for 10 years? I'm talking about like a re-signing up right here in the middle of this Israel fast. So here's the principle. There are dimensions of God's presence and grace and of our calling that are only available to the spiritual hungry. Let me say that again. There are dimensions of the call of God. There are dimensions of intimacy and fellowship with God that only happen in the midst of love sickness and desire because God is love. And he has reserved elements for those that hunger. Why did Jesus teach in parables? To make it hard and make it easy. It's easier to understand for the hungry because of the story and the, and the, and the out, but for those that aren't hungry, you stumble over it. God, just tell me plainly. He is always creating environments to draw us out into spiritual hunger. And I think we're in one of those moments right, literally right now during this 21 days for, to him who has ears to hear. Yeah. I'm saying that to myself. We were created for the wholehearted pursuit. We were born. I'm going to say it another way. Love sickness. That's a phrase we, we use all the time. It's that ache of love for God's presence in person, for Jesus, and for his will to be done and justice to come. It's love sickness. That is not optional. It's not optional. It's not like a little supplement to our spiritual life that every once in a while we have a little stirring. Can you hear me? You know, when a baby is born, it cries when it's hungry. When a baby's born, we've had five babies. When a baby is born, one of the first things you want is for the baby to cry. And if the baby never cries, they get real concerned. If the baby's just completely silent, you start to go, wait a second, what's going on? Is the baby okay? How many of you know a healthy baby usually wakes up its parents to eat? And you go, as much as I don't want to be awake, I'm glad you have an appetite because it means you're healthy. To be born again means a ravenous new appetite is formed. And you literally do things that make no sense to the world. And you just go, this is healthy. This is the logical response. This is not some spiritual fanaticism. This is logical, practical, tangible, and it's in the culture of heaven. The logical response is to be consumed with zeal. And I needed somebody in my life to give me permission to be consumed with zeal. Yeah, there's times in our immaturity we do it wrongly. And and you grow through that. But at its core, God has called us. It's healthy to engage in this. Now, I in just a minute we're going to pray cuz but I I remember the um the testimonies, the testimonies of some people that have gone down this road that, that rocked me. You know, I, I'm, I'm 41. I always tell my kids, I'm 40. They're like, no, dad, you're 41. That extra year, just, it just. But you know, something happens when you hit 40. One, you get it. The natural temptation is to pull back. You just, you guys know what I'm talking about. Come on, where's, where's, no. Okay, there's three of you. Okay, so this whole row right here, they're like 40 plus and they're like, no, you, you just, you, that's your issue, bro. That's your issue. You, sometimes you settle down and, and, and I, there's a positive settling down, but there's also a negative settling down. And I remember, like I mentioned, Mike Bickle was a spiritual father. He was 44 when he planted IHOP. And when he was about 40, something hit his life. Where secretly, without telling anybody, he would fast three days a week, every week for about three years. 
Nobody knew he was doing it for most of it because he tried to keep it secret in the spirit of Matthew 6. But he, for, for three and a half days a week for like three years. And I only heard him talk about it one time. And I went, wait a minute, hold on, what? Every week from like Sunday to Wednesday, he would fast and he would read the entire book of Isaiah and he would cry out to God. And then IHOP was birthed coincidentally right after that process finished. Most people don't know the backstory. Who does that? And I'm not, I'm not even holding that as the model. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm only saying that to provoke you, let it mess with you the way it messed with me. He was 40 years old with kids and a really busy schedule doing that. That messed with me. I pray it messes with you. Shandaba. Jesus said, to what shall we compare this generation? It was a transitional generation, right? We're in a transitional time now. There's only a handful of supernatural generations where everybody in the people of God saw God's power manifest openly on like a daily basis on a widespread level. Generation of Moses, generation of Jesus and the apostles, and the generation of the Lord's return. God's always been moving, but there are transitional moments where the activity of God accelerates. I'm convinced we're in the beginning stages of one of those globally right now. And that's not just based on some prophetic word. It's just based on data. But what does that mean? In Jesus' generation, he goes, what is this generation like? It's like they call out to each other and they say, we played the flute, but you didn't dance. We sang the dirge, but you didn't mourn. How many of you know there's a dance and a dirge in the pursuit of wholeheartedness? There's a rejoicing and a celebration and there's a mourning. Doesn't mean we live in like peak emotion at all times. That's not God's intention. It's just simply saying that the response from the heart of spiritual hunger looks like a celebration and a mourning. Some movements have more celebration. Some have more mourning. All of us have a little bit of both. But these are, these are the outworking of spiritual hunger. I want to just advertise Matthew 11 to you guys today. To reconsider the principles of John the Baptist's life in a transitional generation and what that might mean for us right now. For this, for this house, for this spiritual family. I feel like God is setting us free. We're going to wrap up. But it struck me, Gio, like you had that, you said it was like 20 dreams in a row about accusation coming against the priesthood and then sorrow filling the heart of those that were seeking God with all their heart. And the sorrow was hindering their ability to think clearly. I feel like as we're talking about spiritual appetite, some of us, it's like we need to see again. If there was a trillion dollars buried under the floor right here and anybody could have it, wisdom would look like something. Right? You don't, people would not think you're a fanatic if you were running to the front trying to rip the floor up to get to it. Everybody would be like, well, that makes sense. The problem with the world is they don't know there's something better than a trillion dollars that's accessible for anyone. Do you want it? And they're just like, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you fasting? You don't even know. You just, all you have to do is see. All you, if you see what Paul saw, you can live like Paul lived. Just got to see. I'm just praying God, but I think that sorrow, that accusation, what it does is it clouds your vision where you can no longer see who you are in God, what he's purchased. So you can stand on that foundation of already being in Christ and you don't have an orphan spirit. You're already there. You've already arrived at the house and now you can begin to run after the purposes of God with, with joy and with travail. But Lord, let it come. That sorrow getting, God's been breaking this off all week. I even feel like right now, like some of you are like, man, my spiritual appetite, my hunger for God is just on life support. 
It's like, if you're honest, and I just want you to be really honest. God's not afraid of your honesty. Like, what do you really desire? Is it entertainment? Is it a white picket fence? If they have those in Florida, I don't even, not really. Is it money? Is it influence? Is it notoriety? What is it? Honest, you can be honest. God's not afraid of your honesty. What, what do you really want? When you close your eyes at night, what's really stirring your affections? Come on, people. Is it that relationship? Is it that, those are all good things. But is there something in your heart that overrides every single one of those desires? And if not, like John Piper said, you fast and pray, sometimes out of hunger for God, and sometimes because you don't have hunger for God. And you got to break the fallow ground and the Lord will help you. And he's breaking off that sorrow off of us so that we can hunger again, so we can be healthy. You've been bogged down, some of us, by the discouragements of hope deferred. How many of you know that verse? Hope deferred makes a heart sick. And it didn't go the way you thought. And people said things and the accusation of the evil one came against your heart and it shut down. And here's what the enemy wants to shut down, your spiritual hunger. Because if he, listen, if you hunger and thirst for intimacy with God, for righteousness in your character, how many of you remember the verse? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. How many of you want to break through in your heart? He didn't say fix yourself. God didn't say get it together. Right? How many of you know the gospel is not get it together, people? The gospel is humble yourself. Believe in him. But if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. In other words, don't quit. You can't change yourself. You can't make a spiritual experience happen. You don't even need to. That's just hype. That's not even healthy. You don't need to work anything up. Just never quit hunger. Wake up the next day and go, I'm signing up again. It was horrible yesterday. I, I intended to fast and I ate a burger. I didn't, that wasn't me actually, but. <laughs> but I've done it, okay? I've done it, I'll confess it. I've been with one of the most well-known fasting leaders that I won't say his name. I've been with him in the middle of a 40-day fast when he took food, chewed it up to taste it and spit it out. So, hey, don't judge me. The point is, I think that the Lord right now is breaking the cloud off of our minds so we can begin to function in that appetite. Can we, can we just stand up together real quick? Let's, let's pray. The theology of spiritual desire. This simple stuff. This is not complicated. You're already accepted in the beloved. You don't have to get God's attention. You already have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. It's legally yours. The million dollars is already in your bank account. But guess what? You need to start using the ATM, which is faith expressed as desire. You got to start using it and go, you know what? I am going to sign back up for Matthew 11. I'm going to allow that divine disruption and interruption into my lifestyle for the next year. And even when you, when you mess it up, the next morning you get up and you sign back up and do it again. That's all you got to do. Keep hungering and thirsting. Don't fix yourself. Don't make something happen. Hunger and then stay in the hunger. Press in the next day and then the next day and then the next day and the next day. And here's the guarantee from the lips of Jesus. You will be filled. You will be filled. Not you might be filled. You will be filled and your cup will run over and a river of living water will begin to flow out of your innermost being and the nations will begin to drink from the well of your life. Your family, your coworkers will drink from the well of your life. It will touch those around you. Things will happen you can never produce. You don't need to make it up. You just need to hunger and stay in the hunger. Stay in the conversation. So I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name for Abide Family right now. Here we are, week two, approaching week three now of 21 days. We're in week three. And I ask you for the energizing of faith for spiritual hunger.
I pray the theology of desire would be established in our lives in a way we've never known before. God, I'm provoked by what Mike Bickle did at 40 years old. I'm provoked as a 41-year-old. And I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, all over this room, I literally believe there's an unlocking. And I believe God is dealing with that sorrow that comes from accusations so we can re-engage wholeheartedness. You were made for wholeheartedness. You only function in wholeheartedness. So we ask you, Lord, now. Come on, 30 seconds. Let's lift our voices together. Let's ask him. Ask him to touch your heart. I ask you to touch my heart. I ask you for the disruption of spiritual violence. The purposes of God will not come passively. Can you hear that? There are elements of the gospel that it's all ours passively. But I want to tell you right now, there is an intentional reach that God is asking us to step into for real to enter into what he has for us. It doesn't come passively. That's not true teaching. So it's time not in striving and anxiety, but in faith and desire to begin to step out with wildness in our eyes. Come on, there's a wild love that he wants to put back in our eyes. Some of us have been so heavy. You lost that wildness. You lost that sense of like anything is possible in Christ. You lost that sense of like, I know the Father is going to reward me. The Father's going to see in secret and he's going to openly reward me. I know it's real. And you lost that sense of pleasure and pursuit and the dance. Come on, it's time for the dance again. It's time for the morning again. It's time for the response of the human heart. So, Lord, all over this room, we ask you for the theology of spiritual desire to be established in our midst in a way that's even beyond past seasons, even more than the 18-year-old season for me or whatever it was for you. God, I ask you, Lord, that there would be an awakening of divine appetites in a fresh way. Come on, pray with me for a minute. Do it, Lord. Break the sorrow off the human heart and take us on a journey, not for 21 days, but for months and for years. Look, we want to be counted among those on the earth that have spiritual appetite moving in our heart. And we say, Lord, with David, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and that shall I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on your beauty and inquire in your temple. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken, Lord, just like John the Baptist. Come on, we're asking you. It's like a substance of faith he's going to begin to place on some of us. Even those of you who are working full-time jobs, you have busy schedules. It might not be three days a week of fasting. Some people can't do that. And they're not called to do that. But what I'm saying is give language to the ache for God in your heart. Clear out the clutter and watch what he'll do. Watch what he will do. I dare you. Watch what he'll do with weak people right here in Brandon, Florida. We could touch the nations of the earth. I want to pray specifically for those that, even as David was saying sorrow, we did this on Friday, but just give a moment of response and prayer and we'll end. But sorrow has looks like sadness, unhappiness, dejection, rejection, depression, misery, downheartedness, despondency, despair. It's gloom, it's a heaviness of heart, a dolefulness, melancholy, your spirit being low. I just feel like for those in the room, if you'd be honest to say, man, I need prayer in this moment to push through this. We want to partner with you in the place of prayer and saying to you, God sees you, God hears you, and God knows you. So if one of those words you're like, yeah, I have been feeling that, would you just lift up a hand? We just want to pray with you across the room. This is fine. It's why we're here. All across the room, if there's somebody next to you, just put a hand. If our staff and team can just come around really quick right now. Let's just take a moment. There's right here, just everybody with someone. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you never lead us to a place to leave us there. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for everyone in the room right now that has been dealing with heaviness of heart and dejection and rejection. I even feel like some in the room, the enemy's been lying to you about like losing your mind. Even earlier this week, the accusation of the enemy, like you have lost your mind. You have been made to feel crazy. 
I just pray the peace of God over your mind in Jesus' name to be able to receive grace that your heart would be ministered to and refreshed. In Jesus' name, we stand together as a spiritual family. No music or hype. God, we are asking in Jesus' name that a, there would be a vibrancy of heart. That every accusation of the enemy would be uprooted. Come on, just for a few moments. We pray the peace of God over your heart. We tell heaviness to go depression and anxiety the weight of waking up in the morning like I don't even know if I could do this father we thank you that you're giving the opportunity the Lord says take heart take heart just a few more moments we pray right now that the heaviness would be lifted off of your soul it is not your inheritance we pray a shifting of the season in Jesus' name, where you are is not where you are going to be. We prophesy John 10, 10, overflow abundant life. Just want to partner with you. Just, we just let it go. As much as it took you to partner with that word to get to a place of negativity, we asked, Lord, would you speak new words that would be rooted deep in our hearts, that bring life. The Lord not only pulls up and uproots, he plants new seed. We pray right now for seeds to be planted in hearts. Come on, I know it's been a little while. I just feel just for a moment. Father, we ask you, let there be seeds that take root. Even for those of you, Ronette said that she felt like to just for those of us that maybe we've stumbled in the fast. We haven't walked it out the way we thought we wanted to. We just, we asked you, let's re-sign up. God, we're giving you our yes for the next seven days. We forget what was and we want to step into what is. We're not going to stay boxed in guilt and shame, but we're breaking out and we're asking you for the strength to stand firm and to step forward. We sign up again. I don't know what that means for you, but I just invite you, God, I sign up to finish strong and to step into the new. We tell heaviness to go. It has to go. One last thing, Kayla, you had something? Yeah. So uh, for those of you that have been praying for Israel but haven't had like a natural stirring of like, okay, I'm going to pray for Israel because there's lots of people praying for Israel or I, I know that there's theology behind it, but I, like my heart's not connecting. I want to share like a quick personal testimony of how the Lord made that connection in my heart. I remember just approaching him and telling him like, okay, God, everyone's praying for Israel. I want to know what is your heart for Israel? Like, I want to know your heart for Israel. And I just felt like there was this like very real moment where he said, I want her. And I could tell that it was just filled with so much history and filled with so much desire. And as we've been praying, like, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Like, I want to be connected with you. We're called abide because we want to abide in the vine. We want to be heart connected to God. I feel like right now his heart for Israel is I want her. And so even if you don't know how to pray or don't know the specifics or the deep theology, being able to grab the hand of Jesus and be like, I'm in agreement with you and you deserve the reward of your suffering. You deserve her. You want her. And I feel like that's even a beautiful birthplace for travail yeah. and a beautiful birthplace for our deep intercession is just being like, God, I may not know everything. I may not know the whole story, but God, I know that you want her. So God, I want to partner with you in that. 
and I want my heart to break for what breaks yours. I want to stand with you in this, no matter how long it takes, because you deserve it all. You deserve the heart of every single person in Israel. And God, I'm going to stand here believing with you. I will fast. I will focus believing with you that you are worthy of the reward of your suffering and you will have her. Grab the hand of the person next to you, if you don't mind. Forgive them for the sweaty hand. <laughs> I just, I want to ask the Lord to strengthen us together. There's just power. If we don't go together, we just won't go. So, Father, we say not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. We ask you to strengthen our inner man. That you would strengthen us, God, in this season to go where we've never been, to hear what we've never heard, to see what we've never seen. God, we ask you for grace as a spiritual family, that you would break off everything that needs to be broken. As David said, as all the stuff is coming up, that you would clean it off and that you would help us, God, to step out of these 21 days into something new. Not back to life as normal, but into something new. So we bless the one to the left and to the right. God, we cover them. We bless them. We ask you, God, to break off every bit of accusation and to give them peace, love, and a sound mind. In the Holy Spirit, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. Thank you guys. Hey.